Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about something that is so important for our kids and teens with OCD, and that is how do we remove the stigma that is attached to OCD? And I want to talk about where that stigma comes from, although that's not really surprising, and and why it's our responsibility to be part of removing that stigma for our kids directly. And then I'm going to talk about how to do that in the second half of this episode. So I do hope that you find that helpful. Before we dive in, I would like to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S., and you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I'll leave a link in the show notes. All right, so let's dive into this topic. A lot of times we may not even realize the level of stigma that our kids and teens are feeling when it comes to OCD. And stigma is everywhere. You know, social media, the regular media, just people in general, there's a real misunderstanding of what OCD is. Obsessive cleaning disorder, obsessive Christmas disorder. It's used as a meme, as a joke. And then when people are serious about OCD, they still miss the mark. And they talk about being, you know, I'm a little OCD about that. I like it neat or orderly, or I like things perfect, or I have an OCD house. And I hear that, I feel like almost once a day in in whatever I'm watching, whether I'm reading something or watching something, it's just casually sprinkled in, in dialogue and movies. And what that does for our kids who truly have OCD is it makes them doubt that what their theme is or what the the way that their OCD is showing up is normal or whether they even have OCD or not, or they don't want to be a joke or they don't want to be stereotyped in such a way. And, And so it winds up, and this is kind of what stigma does in general, but it winds up preventing communication because kids are like, I don't want to talk about this. Like, I don't want to share my intrusive thoughts because they, one, maybe I don't want to have OCD at all because I don't want there to be something wrong with me. Two, a lot of intrusive thoughts around OCD are not talked about. And so there's a lot of shame and guilt that can come with them because you can have themes around harm. I'm worried I might harm someone else or myself. And I'm not hearing that's OCD. And so I feel like maybe I'm just a really bad person or maybe I'm going crazy. There are intrusive thoughts about, you know, sexual stuff, sexually taboo stuff. And so they're like, maybe I'm just a pervert or disgusting. And so there are so many themes that are not discussed outside of the OCD community and aren't part of the general conversation that kids may not want to talk about these things. And the other thing is when they don't want to talk about it, you have no clue what's going on with your child and they definitely don't want to see a therapist about it. And so they shut down if you can even get them to therapy because they're too embarrassed to talk about the themes that they're having. And inevitably that hits their self-esteem because if I'm having, I'm being bombarded with intrusive thoughts, I don't want to share that with anyone. I'm suffering alone and I feel like there's something wrong with me. And 
maybe you're seeing just the tip of the iceberg and you're maybe trying to like get them to not do some of the things that they're doing or ask the reassurance or the OCD loops that they might be asking or to stop washing or stop avoiding this or, you know, whatever it may be. And you're really only seeing the tip of the iceberg because they just can't communicate that. And it winds up hurting their self-esteem because then they're just like, I'm a burden to everybody and I'm such a problem. And it's concerning when we have those things build up because there is a higher suicide rate for people who struggle with OCD than a lot of other mental health disorders. And that's concerning, but it's also preventable. And I feel like people are more at risk, and this is just my opinion, when they don't work on removing the stigma. So we can add to stigma inadvertently by not using the word OCD because we don't want to label them. So we're not going to use the word OCD. Well, as soon as they get smart enough to Google and old enough to get into their own treatment or their own help, they're going to realize that there's a name for it and you avoided that name. And that's going to be concerning to them possibly. So sometimes we think we're doing something good for our kids by not labeling them, or we don't have to call it OCD. We can call it ticks or quirks or, you know, their worries. And these really, these euphemisms for obsessive compulsive disorder, which is a serious disorder and their compulsions, not ticks, unless they have ticks too, that's a comorbid condition, but they're not quirks. They are distressing compulsions that have to be done. So when we sugarcoat these things to protect our kids, often it's good intentionally, good intentionally, (laughs) often it's good. It's well-intentioned. Let me speak English for a second, but it can do a lot of harm because what we want to do is offer to destigmatize it at home. And that starts with open discussions about OCD. And there's a difference between following your child's lead where they don't want to talk about it, they're overwhelmed versus your lead. And I've worked with lots of parents, and I actually sometimes see it in the AT parenting community as well, my membership community, where parents don't want to call it OCD. And even if they do, they don't want them to learn anything about OCD, just their particular theme. Or they'll argue back and forth about how this isn't OCD. Maybe it's something else. You know, try all different approaches besides ERP because this isn't OCD. You know, maybe they can try yoga or maybe they can try this. And it's like the denial is so deep within the parent. And I can sense that, that you can only imagine how that's making the child feel. Not that the parent wants the child to feel that way, but you're confusing the issue more by not being succinct with this is OCD. It's really honestly not rocket science when it's overtly OCD. I mean, it's good to go get assessed. That's why no CD is so great because no matter where you live in the world, they might have someone that you can virtually connect with and have an assessment for. But honestly, sometimes it's really obvious once you learn about what OCD is that your child has OCD and we don't want to sugarcoat that. And so another way that we can kind of add to the stigma is by telling our kids, don't tell other people. It's a fine line because we might have, and I've had this in my practice where a child was just very expressive and was just telling everybody and anybody about her OCD. But her parents were like, don't tell anybody. That's, you know, and they were worried about her socially, but they also had their own anxiety. That's a tightrope conversation because when we tell our kids not to tell anyone or don't tell your relatives about this or don't tell your relatives that you're in therapy, there are reasons sometimes our parents have to do that, but we have to be very careful about how we're doing it because then we're, we're adding to the stigma. Even if we're not trying to, we are conveying a message that adds to the stigma. 
And so my son is very open about his OCD and I'll hear him talk about it on VR with strangers. And I always, you know, kind of stiffen up when I hear him talking about it because I feel like he has lived in a bubble so much in my house. You can imagine what my house is like that to him, you know, having OCD is like having asthma, like not a big deal. And and he's happy to educate people on it. But when he was a bit younger, I did have to have a conversation with him. I think he wanted to wear maybe like an OCD shirt to school, like maybe from the International OCD Foundation conference. We bought shirts there. And, and I had to say to him, and this is kind of what I mean by like, you know, just balancing. I said, I love that you are comfortable and not embarrassed about OCD because you shouldn't be. And I think it's really good that you are open to educating people and telling them and not worrying. It is important though, that you know that not everyone is educated on OCD. So when you say I have OCD, they might automatically assume the stereotype that you're neurotic or that you're a clean freak or that you're super organized. And so if you can handle that, where you might have to educate some people, or, you know, there might be some mean people out there who might make fun of you, then that's okay. I just want you to be aware of that. And that's, that is the softer way of helping our kids with reality because reality is really important, but also not stigmatizing them further, you know, validating and saying it's amazing and you shouldn't have anything to be embarrassed about. Now, let's say you have a relative who doesn't understand or, you know, wouldn't understand. And maybe your child's in therapy and they, you just tell them, don't tell grandma or don't tell your uncle, whatever. You still, like the way that we convey that has to be very sensitive. And it might be, I'm so glad that we are open and we can have great communication. And I think it's amazing that you are willing to go get help and get support because there are so many people with OCD in this world. It's very common. And the sooner you can get help and learn skills, the better. Now, unfortunately, there are people that are kind of ignorant out there and they wouldn't understand. And that's a them problem, not a you problem. But we don't need someone to come and rock our boat more, right? I mean, we're trying to educate people in whatever way that we can and insert whatever you're doing or not doing. That's fine. But, or maybe you can say something like, you know, maybe later down in your journey, you might want to be an advocate or, or educate other people about OCD. But right now you're taking care of yourself, which is important. And we're taking care of you, which is important. But grandma or uncle, whatever, insert whatever relative, they're not, they're kind of ignorant around this topic. They don't understand and they're set in their ways and we just don't need that negativity. And so let's just not even talk about it in front of them. They're still like our family and we still love them, but there are certain things that we just can't discuss with people who really don't get it and don't want to get it. So again, it's not just saying, don't tell grandma that you're in therapy or don't tell your friends at school that you have OCD. It's packaging it in a way that doesn't stigmatize them further. That makes sense, right? So when we get back from break, I'm going to talk about different ways that we can remove stigma for our kids and teens with OCD and how we do that. And It is really our responsibility as parents if we are able to, and I'm going to talk about some concrete ways to do that. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands, introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know 
what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, so we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers, and um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids, it was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. <laughs> I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Welcome back. So let's talk about how do we remove the stigma, which, you know, it's, they're being bombarded a lot, especially the older kids are being bombarded with, even the younger kids, I would say, because even teachers will say, oh, I'm so OCD about this. Or, I mean, it's just become a part of the language and I don't like that. And so they're, they are exposed to all of those things that we talked about in the first half of the show. But our role is, and regardless of whether you think your child is seeing it as a stigma or not, this is a really helpful thing. If your child's not communicating, doesn't want to go to therapy, runs out of the room when you're talking about OCD, that's a clear sign that it's possible that stigma is grabbing hold and they're just so overwhelmed by it. And so for any of our kids, we want to normalize OCD in various ways. When we normalize OCD, our kids get the message that they're not alone and that what they're going through is not unique and not in a negative way, but like they're not weird or crazy that lots of people have these things. OCD is not creative. So a lot of the OCD themes that come and go are the same exact ones that other people have. And that's really helpful. Um, sometimes we get stuck on not labeling different OCD themes. You know, there's like a lot of debate in the OCD world about that. You know, your child doesn't have moral OCD. They just have OCD. Your child doesn't have symmetry OCD or contamination OCD or harm OCD or sexual orientation OCD. They just have OCD. And that is true. But when we help kids see that there are very common themes and it is whack-a-mole, it can change over time. So you don't want to get, you know, 
tunnel vision on these themes, but it's helpful for a child to go, oh my gosh, other people have harm OCD or they're worried they're going to harm their family. I thought that maybe I needed like to be kept away from my family. I didn't realize this was actually like, there's a name for it. And so OCD themes can help in that. It can help normalize it as long as we don't get tunnel vision and say, we only want help for harm OCD or you have harm OCD. Like that's a very specific thing. No, you have OCD and OCD is OCD, but here are some really common themes. And so that's important. I have a lot of, I don't want to say a lot. I have had a lot of parents, I guess I did say a lot again, (laughs) that don't want to educate their kids on OCD because they don't want them to catch any other themes. And I have done a whole podcast episode on are anxiety and OCD themes contagious? And you can find that either wherever you're consuming your podcast, but a great way to search for any podcast that I recommend, just go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, and there is a search button, and just type in the title that I'm saying. And even if it's not the exact title, it will pop up. And so, you know, are anxiety or OCD themes contagious? It'll pop up. And I go all into that in that episode of like, why it's still really important for us to educate our kids on OCD and all the many different ways that it can show up. And OCD is an octopus. And you probably have heard me say this before if you've listened to me. It's an octopus and there are tentacles. And if the octopus is really big, its tentacles are really big and it can hook onto lots of different things. So the teacher might make a comment and boom, the OCD octopus, the tentacles are really large and they grabbed onto that. And now all of a sudden they have an OCD theme around what the teacher said. Was it the teacher's fault? No. OCD is just a huge octopus right now and it's got very long tentacles. And so we can do something or a situation can happen and it can manifest in a new OCD theme. So the same thing can happen when a child is learning about OCD in general through the different ways I'm going to talk about in a second. But the pros outweigh the cons because we can't walk on eggshells around OCD. We can't say, shh, OCD is only doing moral OCD right now. So let's just keep it there. It doesn't work that way. If the octopus is huge, it will find new themes eventually and it's going to be whack-a-mole. The problem is if your child does not know that you know this other theme is a possibility or this other theme or how OCD works in general, you know, an intrusive thought or feeling and the need to do or avoid something to get the brief relief, but the more you do or avoid, the bigger OCD grows. If they don't understand the foundation of how OCD is because you're afraid to educate them because you don't want to talk about OCD because it might make it worse, or they don't realize I'm trying to even things out in my body now. And I used to worry if I was a bad person, moral OCD, and now I'm trying to even myself out, symmetry OCD. And I have no idea that that is the same disorder because they're two completely different looking issues. But if I know that OCD is an intrusive thought or feeling and the need to do or avoid something is the compulsion, then I'm like, hmm, well, now I have to even things out to feel okay. And I think that that's OCD too. The earlier kids can pick up these small OCD weeds, the more proactive they can be at pulling them fully out, and then you stay on top of it. The goal is to get the octopus smaller, not to worry about what tentacles are going to stick to different things. And so the positive too is that there are taboo OCD themes, and we call them taboo only in the sense that people are feeling embarrassed, ashamed to have them. And kids have taboo OCD themes too. And so you might even have a child who is open about lots of their OCD themes, but you feel like you're might you're missing something. And that's often because they have a taboo OCD theme. 
which can be anything like I'm going to hurt my dog or I'm having sexual thoughts about the dog. I know that's disturbing. We don't want to talk about it, but this is the reality of this disorder is that it gives you thoughts that are not aligned with who you are and it makes you very uncomfortable. And then you spend a lot of time convincing yourself why or why, why you're not that way. And OCD talks about why you are that way. And then you maybe avoid the dog and you ask your parent if it's, you know, you might ask some reassurance questions that your parent may not really identify as having to do with OCD and it becomes this vicious cycle. And so if a child knows, oh, you know, there are these OCD thoughts that are really common and you educate them on them, you remove the stigma from it. I mean, I I can't tell you how many times I have sat in my office where a kid, I could tell they had some sort of quote unquote taboo thought because a lot of times it's like contamination OCD. And when they are a tween or teen and particularly a boy, normally, I don't say normally, a lot of times semen is a contaminant. And that makes sense because developmentally they're kind of learning sexuality and they're exploring their body. And you know, they're going through puberty or they pass puberty and there's things that happen. And so semen becomes a contamination source and they feel disgusted and gross about it. There's a more of a spike in religious families, you know, where, you know, maybe sexual conversations are are less open. But I've seen it with with families where the where the family's not religious. So it can happen anywhere. But then they start worrying about touching their bedroom doorknob or like if their door, if their door's open, then the contamination goes through or if the their sheets are contaminated. And there's certain, like, when they're having very certain specific things that are contaminated, there are sheets, their bedroom, things in their room, the doorknob in their room. To me, it's a red flag that it could be semen. <laughs> Not that it is, because we never want to fully 100% assume anything. But in those situations in my office, I would, I would say, you know, OCD is tricky, you know, and there are a lot of OCD problems that People don't want to talk about it because it can feel embarrassing. And I'll, I'll just go through a couple of them just so that you know what some of those are. And a lot of times bodily fluid is a big one. And that can be pee or poop or semen or, and I just name it like nonchalantly, you know, just clump it in there so that it's not the focus, but it's mentioned. And more often than not, I would hear, oh, I have that. And I'd say, because I, I had already known that there was a high likelihood that that's what was going on. And so I normalize that. And my reaction is not what, you know, it's normal and it just helps validate them and remove the stigma. So that's me and my soapbox for, you know, parents who want to not educate their kids on OCD themes. Then you rip yourself from the opportunity to, to remove the stigma because you're really stigmatizing OCD because you think that you have, you have some control. OCD thinks they have control and no one's helping the the child. And so the more they learn about OCD, the more you take the power back from OCD and give it to your child. And that's really important. If they're meant to get a certain OCD theme, they're going to get that theme more often than not, regardless of where they find that, you know, whether it's triggered because they read something in an OCD book or a teacher says something, or you say something, it can happen anywhere because it's a matter of how big the OCD is and not about Keeping the cocooned, oh my gosh, how am I talking? It's so difficult today. Keeping them cocooned from any possible trigger because you cannot do that because literally a child can listen to a song and then all of a sudden they're triggered. See a photo album and they're triggered. The dog licks their hand, now they're triggered. You cannot protect your child from triggers. And 
the benefits of educating a child is huge. So, okay, I think I have beaten a dead horse on that one. So how do you do that? There are really good OCD books out there. And so it depends on your child's age. I like Practicing Being Brave, which is a great one. Outsmarting Worry, which sounds like an anxiety book, but it's pretty appropriate for OCD too. They do talk about exposures and stuff. For little kids, what to do when your brain gets stuck. There's another one that I really like. And the other one I like is Without a Doubt by Golfo Limaki. I might be mispronouncing his name. But Without a Doubt is a great one for moral or scrupulosity OCD. So I do like that one. Unraveling Rose is a really good one for really little kids. That's one of the, and for really, really little kids, I like Blink, Blink, Clop, Clop, an OCD storybook. That's very helpful too. And so all of those books, I mean, you can get them on Amazon. So just write down the names and then I'm not going to put them in the show notes. It's too much work. I'm so sorry. But these are like, if you search for children's books on OCD, these will pop up on Amazon. They normalize OCD because there are stories and they talk about different themes and topics. There are also really good teen books on OCD. I don't want to make this all about books because there's so much more, but I think just tapping into books are really important. Everything is an emergency is a graphic biography, a graphic novel biography by a cartoonist for the New Yorker. And I love that one for teens. He does talk about sex and drugs, you know, in a cartoonish sort of way, but it's a very easily digested, normalizing book. Everything is an emergency. Um, You might want to read it if it's a minor and make sure that you think it's appropriate. I thought it was appropriate, but everyone's definition of appropriate is a bit different, but that is a really good one. There are OCD workbooks, which are helpful, but I think tapping into these stories and people who have OCD is really helpful. And that is really normalizing. So I am coming out with an OCD workbook for kids in February of next year. And that will be for, I think it's eight to 12 year olds. And so if you want to learn more about that, you can get on my waiting list um, and you'll be the first one to hear when it comes out. And so you can go to natashadaniels.com slash OCD book. And then I will, I will add you to my email list and you'll get notified when that book comes out. There'll probably be some freebies and some free books around that. And that it's a workbook too. And I know I just got through saying workbooks aren't really like diving into stories is helpful. But what I did with this workbook is I incorporated the themes so that I'm really educating kids on and normalizing their themes as we're going through this workbook, which I think is a really important thing to do. So you can get on that list at natashadaniels.com slash OCD book, and that will be coming out in February, which might seem like a long time from now, but it's actually not that far when I think about it. <laughs> May? No, we're in June already. June, July, August, September, October. All right. It's a long time from now, <laughs> but it's coming eventually. And so um, check out different books, go to Amazon, look at the books, ask in my Facebook group, what books people recommend. They're going to tell you the, the most common ones. The other thing is documentaries. There are some really good OCD documentaries. My favorite one though, for kids, for the whole family to watch is Unstuck, an OCD kids movie. And I will leave a link in the show notes and on my website, in my description of this podcast, I will leave a link to that documentary. It is very inexpensive to rent and it is well worthwhile. It is a 20 minute commitment. And what I like about that is 
when it ends, kind of hopeful, you know, like these kids start to use their tools and they, you know, they're improving. So that's a good message. And it also picks different types of OCD themes and it follows a bunch of kids with their different themes. And so again, that's normalizing because kids can say, that's me. So that's important. Another source to get more OCD information from is the podcast OCD stories. And that's really helpful if you have a teen or young adult. I don't think it would be necessarily appropriate for kids, but that's all he does over there is interview people. Well, he doesn't always just interview people with OCD. Sometimes he talks to therapists and professionals and researchers, but look for the ones where he's talking to someone who's who's struggled with their OCD and is doing better now because those are really uplifting stories. There are Instagram accounts from a lot of young, much hipper than me advocates for OCD, and they have very cool Instagram accounts. And so you can check that out as well. And just, you know, go on Instagram and search OCD and you'll see some of these accounts come up that I think can be really helpful. One of my favorite ones for teens and young adults, because it's a, it's just a hip Instagram account is uh, Allegra Castens. And so her last name, it's Allegra, A-L-E-G-R-A, Castens, K-A-S-T-E-N-S. Her account used to be called something else, and then she changed it to her name. But that's a great account. And and accounts like that, there are some accounts that are just, there are a lot of therapist accounts, and Allegra is a therapist. But when you have someone who just is cool and openly talking about their struggles And she's an OCD therapist, but she's young. And I think that that just normalizes it even more so, which is good. Another account that I think is really helpful for like teens and young adults is the OCD octopus. I don't know how you actually pronounce her account, the octopus, but it's spelled the, and then O-C-D-O-P-U-S. So it's like octopus, but with the D for the OCD, because we all talk about OCD being like an octopus. and she is very young and she's actually created like an Etsy account to make products to support people with OCD. And, and so that is a really uplifting account as well. And I'm, I'm going through like the younger accounts, (laughs) like these are, these are people much younger than me. And so I feel like that speaks, like if you can find Instagram accounts that like talk about OCD in a positive way, and it's someone that maybe looks or sounds like them, or is just their age, that can be really helpful. All right, the last one I just want to mention, and there are tons of other OCD advocates on Instagram, which are great, but I'm, I'm highlighting the ones that I think are like young, so that if you have a teen, it would really resonate. So the last one I want to mention really quick is Not Alone Notes. And again, that's on Instagram, Not Alone Notes, just as it sounds. They mail free handwritten notes to, to others with OCD and related disorders and remind them they're not alone. and these are two like young women who created this. And so the octopus account and not alone notes are two really great examples of young people who had their own struggles and continue to have their struggles who have turned into advocates and have taken their pain and transformed it into good. And so creating these notes alone, you know, so that these not, not alone notes, you know, was a nonprofit that they eventually created into a nonprofit. I don't think it started that way. And the octopus store, I mean, that was like something she created to give back. 
And so that can be very inspiring for our older kids. And even younger kids, you can show them, look at this interesting thing. Like you can just, you'll have to curate a little bit more, like watch what they're saying and then show it to them. Both accounts are very innocent. I don't think you'll have a problem, but you know, when, when they're a little bit younger, you kind of want to just review things before you do that kind of stuff. But I think those would be really good. The other thing I would say is have them take an OCD class. And this is where I come in because I'm like the class lady. And there are a lot of good OCD classes, but there aren't really any online for kids and teens specifically. And so I was asked a lot for a very long time to create a class directly for kids and teens with OCD because I have so many resources for parents. I've got how to teach kids to crush OCD, and I've got how to handle difficult behavior caused by anxiety and OCD. I have the space program study guide for OCD and anxiety. So I have a lot. I have moral OCD, how to crush moral OCD. So I have quite a few classes, but I didn't have anything directly for kids and teens. I, you know, I was teaching you how to teach them. And so last year, um, it's probably about eight months ago, maybe, but I started working on it maybe like two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. I found 12 volunteers from my AT parenting community. These were kids of all ages who had all different types of OCD themes going on. They agreed to join me and help me teach the class. And so the class is videos of montage videos, kind of of kids talking about their own different OCD themes they've had, different things they've had, the positive skills they've built, how they approach OCD, their words of encouragement to other kids with OCD, the feedback that I've gotten around that course has been the best feedback I've gotten for literally anything I've ever created. And the kids say, finally, I feel normal, or it's so good to hear other kids talking. They don't really talk about me, (laughs) which is fine because that's not the purpose. I want them to learn these skills, but I want them to also feel validated and normalized throughout that learning experience. And that is what, that's what that course does. And so I will leave a link to that course in the show notes it's called Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. And you can always find all my courses, including that one at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Another thing that we can do to normalize is find famous people that our kids know and respect and then let them know that person has OCD. This is getting easier as time is improving the openness of mental health issues that it's not as hard to find someone famous. And you can Google this and just look. There's a lot of lists of famous people who have OCD and find someone. One thing that Child Mind Institute is doing, and they've been doing every year, and it's currently going on, I think for May, because May is Mental Health Awareness Month, is this campaign that helps normalize OCD by finding famous people and influencers and having them record a video of their own mental health struggles. So it doesn't have to be specific about OCD, but it's helpful to say, oh, like here's someone famous that I thought was just, you know, rocking it. And they have their own struggles and which makes them even more impressive because they have their own struggles and then they're able to handle this as well. And so check out that campaign. I left a link in the show notes on that one too. It's Child Mind Institute's You Got This campaign. So if you go to Child Mind's website, which I will look up right now for you. It's childmind.org. Currently, because it's May, it is on the front page, but normally I think after May, their campaigns move to the archives. And so you'll have to search for it, but I will leave a link so that, and hopefully that link will be active indefinitely so that you can check that out because they have a huge library of famous people. A lot of people I don't know 
because I think they're like YouTubers and influencers and things that are like, I'm not cool enough to know about, but that can really help. I mean, my kids love to hear about people that they look up to who have mental health struggles. And it doesn't always have to be OCD. It can be anxiety or anxiety and depression. It just normalizes mental health in general. Another thing, I'm just going through my list of different ways that you can help destigmatize kids and OCD is through YouTube. And so again, that's one, that's my area. I have a YouTube channel and I literally have a YouTube channel just to help kids and teens and young adults with their anxiety and OCD. And I believe I haven't seen anyone else. I don't think there's any other channel that is directly focusing on kids and teens. And so there are other OCD YouTube channels that are amazing and really helpful, but they are not making them with the intention to help kids specifically. And I don't think there is an OCD channel other than mine. And so check that out. I think I have over probably a thousand videos. I make one every week. They're free. It's YouTube. And you can even search my YouTube channel and find like particular themes that you want to show. They're not in order. Sometimes parents will say to me like, is there an order that people should watch your videos? And with thousands of videos, I mean, I haven't counted how many videos. It's probably thousands of videos because I've been doing it for a long time. I'm not going to curate them and put them in, in a chronological order. It just isn't, it's not done that way. People in my AD parenting community who are in my membership community, they, they can ask me, they'll say, my child's having this, this, this issue. Um, what would be the best videos? And I will like make a list of, you know, watch this in order, but that's part of the benefit of being in the AT parenting community is that you do get that hand holding kind of support, but you can just search a topic and it will pop up on my YouTube channel. And you can find me at youtube.com at Natasha Daniels, OCD therapist. So youtube.com slash at Natasha Daniels, OCD therapist, and you'll find my channel there. So um, I will leave a link as well, I think, in the show notes. I'll have to add it. I don't think I had that link. And the last thing I want to mention is support groups. And so if your child is willing to participate in a support group, that is incredibly normalizing to sit around with a bunch of other kids who have OCD. It's very invigorating and validating and destigmatizing. And you can, you know, if you can't find a local support group, there are online support groups. If you have a therapist who's an OCD therapist, ask them, do they run support groups? Maybe they do. I do have a support group as well in the AT parenting community. And so we meet once a month. We have one for kids. We have one for teens. We have one for parents as part of the membership perks that's included. And kids just light up in there because they are all talking about their different themes and they're all giving advice to each other. And it's very normalizing. And Kids are telling other kids things that I would tell their tell the child or their parent would or their therapist would, and they won't listen necessarily to us adults. But then when another child says, yeah, you know, you shouldn't give into your compulsion because it's only going to grow your OCD better. And what I do is blah, blah, blah. The child lights up and is like, oh, okay, thank you for your advice. It's really good advice. <laughs> Even though I'm sure that everybody else has said that to that child, but it's just normalizing and it really is destigmatizing. We also have a buddy program in the AT parenting community where we actually connect kids. It's just a list, almost like a pen pal, like a updated pen pal type of thing where we, you know, provide a list. You can get on the list as an AT parenting community member and then your child can find someone who is of similar age or lives in similar areas or has similar interests outside of OCD. So you can really match them depending on what you want to match them with and that can be really helpful too to have a buddy a friend 
who also has OCD. And we have some amazing stories in the AT parenting community about these kids who have become best friends with each other. And I love that. It's just so sweet. So the AT parenting community is not open right now if you're listening to this in real time, but we open the doors every three months. And so you can get on the wait list at atparentingcommunity.com and we'll open it back up uh, May, June, July, August. I think we're, yeah, we're opening it back up in August. And so get on the wait list and then you'll get notified. Sometimes as the wait list gets too big, we'll open it up before. If the wait list gets over 200, we open it up before our next schedule time. And I have to say that we almost always open it up to the wait list before we open it up to the public. And so if you're on that wait list, you'll get emailed, but it won't be publicized. And so that's a a good thing to do if you're looking for that in-depth support. So I hope this was helpful in giving you just a clear picture of the many ways that we can remove the stigma in kids for having OCD and just helping normalize that. And it is it is a bonus that it removes the stigma or a big part of the stigma. And it also educates them on what OCD is by talking to other kids or reading these books or taking this class. Kids start to learn about OCD just naturally. They're soaking it up and they're much more likely to catch early new themes than a child who is left in the dark and isn't educated on OCD. So it's powerful on both fronts. And I think it's a a crucial component to helping our kids with OCD. So I hope that you're finding my podcast helpful in general. If you are, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes. And if you have a few extra seconds, don't forget to write a review. I greatly appreciate that. I normally would read one if I had a new one, but I don't see a new one um, while I'm recording this episode. So maybe I'll be reading yours next time. Just a reminder too, that my grief book, my children's grief book, The Grief Rock, a book about understanding grief and love is out now. And I'm very excited about that. I know that has nothing to do with anxiety or OCD, but probably know my story that my husband passed away. And it's like, I only know how to like take my pain and turn it into help. (laughs) It's like a weird thing that I do. It's like cathartic. And so that's fine. That's me. But you can check that out at natashadaniels.com slash grief dash book. If you're interested in that, it is a children's book. They say it's good for kids ages like four to eight. It's definitely good for that age range, but I actually wanted it to be more of a universal book. And I think I think it can be a universal book. I think it's something I would gift someone, even if they were like 10 or 11, or even if, you know, they were older. You know, I know like I give every time my kid graduates, well, I've only had one kid graduate, <laughs> but the Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the Places You Will Go. I don't know if you've ever heard of that book, but it's like a great graduation book because it's all about, you know, starting life and, you know, where you're going to head and And so what I do, even though my kids don't know this yet, my oldest does, but I always get their teachers at the end of the year to sign the book. And by the time they graduate high school, they have like a little note from all their teachers since preschool. And and that's a cool thing. They don't know I'm doing that. And so my point is that's a children's book, but it's universal. Like it's a it's a it's a popular graduation gift for high school. And I really feel like this book is similar to that, where it speaks to anyone's grief and it's a simple book. Your brain can't process information when you're grieving. Like words are hard. I couldn't read a book. I couldn't even watch like an in-depth show for, I would say like the first year. Like my brain just couldn't process words. So even working was really hard. 
but simple books were easy. And so if you're interested, check that out as well. And I hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll be back again next Tuesday for a whole new topic. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 